Good morning, everybody. Okay, for those of you still talking, that good morning is supposed to be sit down and be quiet. (laughs) If you were in Sunday school, you would have learned that women are supposed to be quiet in church, right? Oh, no, you weren't in Sunday school. Sorry. You left. Oh, yeah, I offended you. No, we talked about, uh, it was a joke. It was supposed to be a joke, and it didn't come out the right way, and I apologize for that. But we, what we were talking about in church, uh, in Sunday school, is what does the Bible say? What, and isn't that what we're supposed to do? Go to God's Word and figure out what it says and instead of like, this is my feelings about it. Uh, and so this morning we talked about uh, what does the Bible say about women pastors? And uh, we, we looked at it. And uh, if you missed it, I'm sorry, but I, I can give you my notes for it. Um, but we're going to continue on for the next few weeks in Sunday school about what does the Bible say about different issues that people are bringing up uh, that, that, that are kind of, I don't want to say hot topics, but they are uh, definitely, it, it continues on it happening uh, today. So anyway, <clears throat> good morning, everyone. Glad that you are with, I cannot put this on my belt. I'm putting it in my pocket. All right. Um, Let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we go to God's word and prayer. I mean, go to the Lord in prayer. <sighs> Lord, I thank you so much for everything, Lord. I thank you for the sunshine. I thank you for uh, another day to be able to be in your house with brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I thank you for your word, how that it always means exactly what it says. Lord, I pray that you would help all of us to go to your word and to learn from you and to study and just to, to, to deepen our relationship with you, to deepen our faith in you. Because, Lord, that's what we need. Uh, there's never going to be a time where we're not going to need that. I pray that you will help us, Lord, as we, we look to your word this morning. Uh, I pray that you give me the words to say that will challenge each and every one of us and, and encourage us to, to seek you. Lord, uh, uh, we ask that you would uh, um, bless our, our worship, bless our singing, or bless our uh, giving of our tithes and our offerings, and bless the, the time where we listen to you. Uh, we ask that you would bless this service today, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, we're going to sing uh, uh, some songs now. So uh, you can look up on the screen here. Great is thy faithfulness. <clears throat>
too fast. I'm a lot of breath. Anybody else out of breath there? Okay. All right. Let's continue worshiping him uh, with Who Can Satisfy?
Great singing. You may be seated at this time. All right, so uh, we, we just sing about God's faithfulness. He's always faithful, amen? And who can satisfy like God? No one can. Yet, so many times we, we get too full of ourselves, don't we? We, we, we do what we want to do, not what God wants us to do. And so many times we need to say, God, I just need more of you in my life. I need to surrender me and have more of you. He must increase, I must decrease. So uh, the next song we're going to sing is uh, I Need You More. And uh, we'll take up our offering during this song as well. God to bless the offering. 
Thank you, sir. Uh, let me give a couple quick announcements. Um, let's see. In two weeks, we're having a Carrion Fellowship dinner here at the church. And um, there is going to be someone here that week. So we need to make sure that there's plenty of food. Annika said she's definitely going to come. So if you know that, make sure there's plenty of food. Um, just tease me, Annika. Well, she did talk about bringing some friends from her softball team. So maybe there will be more. I don't know. But... Uh, uh, but anyway, that's Carrion Fellowship Dinner on the 3rd. Uh, March 16th, that is a Saturday, that is Barb Solomon's memorial service. And uh, that is going to start at 3 p.m. There is a sign-up sheet out in the foyer. If you think you might be able to come, that would be great. Um, but I know the service part, but uh, also specifically the dinner part. The dinner is going to be at 5.30. Um, and uh, Brother Ron wants to make sure he has a, a, an accurate count so that uh, there's enough food for everybody. So that's that, excuse me, that sign-up is out there. Uh, so please do that. Um, March 30th is our Easter egg hunt out at uh, Midway Community uh, Park, and that's at noon on that day. And then our Easter services, Easter services on the 31st. Um, uh, we got 8 a.m. Uh, early service, 9 a.m. the breakfast, and then uh, 10 o'clock is our Easter worship service. So no 11 o'clock service that day. All right, uh, let's continue worshiping him. We're going to sing one last song this morning, page 227. Uh, There's something about that name. We'll sing this through twice. Jesus, 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 there's just something. Savior Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth
thank you for worshiping with us, singing with us. All right, uh, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Um, In 1997, there was a gentleman by the name of Joshua Harris who wrote a book. He wrote a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And uh, it, was a, it was a book on Christian dating, on Christian courtship. And uh, it, it sold millions and millions of copies. And it made him really kind of an overnight Christian star. Um, and that was, he was just 21 years old when that took place. At 29 years old, he became a pastor of a church. Uh, Ten years later, he stepped down from ministry amid some problems and some issues. And it was then uh, that he found himself in a place that he describes as deconstructing his faith. Four years later, he and his wife divorced, and he no longer identified as a Christian. He told uh, Newsweek, he said... uh, that his problem, uh, the problems in his church and the mistakes that he made as a leader in the church, among other experiences, led to his falling away from Christianity. As Harris puts it, he says, that was all part of my deconstruction process. Questioning things that I built my life around. Deconstruction. It's a word that has been coming into our vocabulary over the last uh, a few years. And it has nothing to do with uh, bricks and mortar. And many times it's applied to Christian uh, beliefs. Deconstructing can refer to the process of anyone raising questions and exploring challenges to the beliefs that they long have held. It is often related to beliefs one was raised with which they're, trying to, they're seeking to understand or even reconcile in their own thinking, their own experiences, their own desires. And it can also refer to uh, those who conclude that they no longer believe what they were taught. They have sifted through what they believe and identify some to be cultural baggage, you know, the misguided beliefs and, or, or practices. And then some of them leave the quote-unquote faith. Others don't leave the faith, but instead they allow that process to grow their faith and and mature their faith in the Lord. Believe it or not, every single one of us go through this process. Don't believe me? How many of y'all were taught that there was a tooth fairy when you were a kid? How many of y'all still believe there's a tooth fairy out there now? Doug, okay. (laughs) Should have known Doug. Uh, No, you realize that it doesn't fit what really happens today. So our beliefs change, right? Um, So what I want to do is I I hope that you'll see that this is really a a natural part of life. So it's not uncommon to wonder, what, what do we do when what we believe is true, it is good, but it doesn't really seem clear in God's Word. 
For whatever reason, this process has been accentuated greatly in the last few years. And uh, uh, it's led to a cultural shaking on multiple fronts. Uh, and it's led people to want to rethink all kinds of things. Uh, we're deconstructing our politics, our memberships, our news sources, our, our mindsets, our views, our beliefs, our affiliations. Everything that seems so simple and so settled has become messy and confusing. Don't believe me? Which news do you trust? And it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you sit on, whether it's a red side or a blue side, or red news or blue news, it's all junk. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be rude, I don't mean to be crude, but that's exactly what it is. It's biased junk. You have to learn. We can't trust the news about anything anymore. I'm sorry. I'm not going off on that. Okay. Um, so today we're launching into a new series. I'm not sure how many weeks we're going to do this, but uh, uh, it titled The Deconstruction Zone. And uh, we're talking about navigating through doubts and difficulties and different things. And so we're going to engage the process of nav- navig. I just said that. I don't know why I said that. Um, but we're, we are engaging the process of navigating through difficulties, through doubts that affect people's faith. Why? Because some of us may find ourselves in that process right now. You know? Uh, or, or, or if it's not right now, maybe it's going to be in the future. Uh, also, some, we're going to do it because some of y'all are parents. And you need to be able to figure that. And maybe you're not a parent today, but maybe one day you will be. And you need to help your children navigate through those difficulties. Or maybe it's just because you have a friend, uh, someone that has walked away from the faith and you need to help them through that. We need to realize that this process of deconstructing, of, of navigating difficulties and doubts, need not end in unbelief. Uh, and in fact, deconstructing really is part of the process towards reconstructing. Building up more mature, more robust, uh, a better faith, if you would, that, that grapples honestly with the deepest questions of life. You know, if we stand back, we can see that deconstructing is really only part of the process, or at least it should be. There is construction, you know, that's that formation of the things that originally uh, form our lives. Then there is deconstruction. That's that tearing it down. Uh, when, when one comes to realize that uh, what they taught doesn't fit it right now, uh, and so you need to figure out what it's all about, how, how does it fit, how it doesn't fit in our lives. And then there's reconstruction. And that's where you realize there's some changes that needs to be uh, made or adjustments to what you've been taught. Now, deconstruction doesn't necessarily mean destruction, okay? It can. Uh, it can be uh, reconstructing something that's healthy. It, it can mean walking away with a faith that is more vibrant, more real, more alive than ever before. As one pastor stated, he says, often it's about deconstructing the outward and shallow religious dynamics to engage that which is more committed to a way of life that flows from the heart of God. What so often happens today, though, is that we're quick to deconstruct something only to realize we really don't know what it is we're seeking to construct in its place. And we can find ourselves in a mess. And so we need to step back and see that it's a part of a larger process. Construct. Deconstruct. Reconstruct. 
So today, I want us to understand, this is a really kind of an introductory message um, in, into what we're, we're, we're talking about. So I, I want us to understand that we are navigating through life, all right? As we go through life, we form an understanding of what is true, what is good, but there are various elements that uh, we're navigating in that process. And we need to understand that. The first thing that we need to navigate through is that of development. From childhood, simplicity, we need to grow and navigate to, towards adult complexity. One of the most basic things we navigate is, is what we believe, I'm sorry, in what we believe is the fact that any belief that we learn as a child is very, very simplified. And we'll go through transitions as we develop and mature over time. The Bible recognizes that we naturally mature in our spiritual understanding. And one of the only references I have you here in Luke chapter 2, we're going to look at verse number 52. One of the only references when Jesus at an earlier stage in life, he's probably around 12 years old, this is what it says. And Jesus increased in what? In wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus grew in wisdom. He grew in understanding. Now you might say, well, he, wasn't he God? Yeah. So how did he grow in that? I don't know. He set that aside to become a human, okay? But he grew, and he also grew physically. That's what that stature means. Paul also wrote in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, he says, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man... I put away childish things. So both of those things is what both of those verses is talking about. You need to grow up. You are growing up. You are growing in, in understanding. You're growing physically, and you need to put away some of those childish things. And so the Bible teaches us that we are to have childlike faith, though, and we need to have that in terms of humility and, and trust. But we're also supposed to grow beyond our childish understandings. As we grow, we have to ultimately go through this process in which we adopt, I'm sorry, adapt, and, and we expand and we change our thinking about things because we have a greater understanding of life. In our earliest stages of life, as an infant, we, are, we, we trust pretty much everything, right? I have always said I would have loved to taught my kid that the sky is green and the grass is blue, just to mess them up. I just, I've got a wicked mind, I guess. Um, but kids, they'll believe you. They'll believe, I mean, don't believe me? Well, when you were a kid, did you believe in Santa Claus? What about the Easter Bunny? The Tooth Fairy? Storks bringing babies to the family? Because that's a whole lot easier to say than when a man loves a woman. Okay, not that song. Okay. I just saw Judy start singing. Okay. Um, you know, sometimes as a kid, you know, you, you simplify it. And, th and there are things that you believe that, that, that are fairy tales, okay? Now, when kids get to be about 7 years old, 12 years, between 7 and 12, they, they start to develop a little more logical understanding, literal understanding. And, you know, we tend to understand that the world operates the good. If you're good, you get good. If you're bad, you get bad. You receive punishment. And we learn that God is good. He's got the whole world in His hands. But if in that time we go through a tragically painful experience or loss, we, ha we will need help with understanding our beliefs 
Okay. Well, wait a minute. I thought good came to those who were good. I wasn't bad, but yet now my mom is gone. Or now my, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, we, we learn about good and evil, and we're told that those who do good uh, um, get good, and those who do bad get what is bad. But as we grow, it's not necessarily true. So it confuses us, and people, uh, I mean, good people struggle. Bad people seem to be doing just fine, and we have to reconcile that in our beliefs. And it's not, it's not because the Bible was wrong, and it's not because what you were told was wrong. It was just simplified for your understanding at the time. Only later in life do we tend to understand those paradoxes, those mysteries of what we were taught. But some people come to the point in which they feel that their faith is just ripe with fairy tales. And they say, for me to grow up, I have to set all that aside. So forget this Bible. I'm just going to put it back here because it's just full of fairy tales. And they think in order to grow up, now they have to only believe in the literal understanding things, a scientific world, if you would. That's what they, you know, that's uh, this whole deconstructing thing. They've got to set it apart. That's what they, come, uh, what they come up with. So in this sense of natural development, we, we all deconstruct and reconstruct the nature of our beliefs. It's not a matter of discovering that the Bible is not true, but developing our capacity of understanding. The point is that we will need help with understanding our beliefs in more expanded ways as we grow older. And we're going to need help in that process, which kind of connects with not only navigating through Um, not only navigating through our development, we also are, need to navigate through individualization. You say, what does that mean? The process of you becoming who you are. Okay? That's what that is. Um, that we need to navigate that our faith, our belief, it becomes our belief. Not my mom's belief, not my dad's belief, not the church's belief, not those, but mine. We take ownership of it. You know, this process of individualization just amazes me. Uh, You know, and, and, you know, hopefully we find a healthy sense of ourselves as individuals. It's such a natural and needed part of society. Well, not society, of maturity. But it's often hard and messy. Don't believe me? Ask a parent of a teenager. Right? They're becoming themselves. They, they're making their own choices. And sometimes you have to let them make their choices, don't we? Even though you know that what they're going to do is you're going to hurt. That's not a good choice. But sometimes you have to let them make those mistakes. You know, um, we, we begin life with a natural separation anxiety. Uh, um, you know, we, we find this security with our parents, with our family, uh, similar figures, you know, uh, parents. Uh, then as we mature as individual beings, we, we begin to express our own will and then develop our own thinking and our own beliefs. And, and, and it's natural, but the process is very complicated. So sharing common beliefs is part of the core of what connects us. So, so changes in those beliefs can cause a parent to feel threatened. A child can feel empowerment in that. The point is that there is an element of deconstructing beliefs which is natural. 
Ideally, it would simply be a process of re-examining our beliefs and learning how to bring uh, our own maturing thinking into play. But sometimes in this process of individualization, one can become very adversarial, contentious about anything that has to do with your parents. Isn't it amazing? Did you, I'm not going to ask you if you had a teenager or you were that teenager, but do you know a teenager that would not listen to their parents, what they said, but if someone else an aunt, a friend, someone else be able to say the exact same thing, they would be like, I've never heard of that before. I've never thought of that before. That's wonderful. That's a great idea. Why? Because, oh, my parents are stupid. Some of y'all are laughing because you're thinking that's exactly what my child is like. And some of y'all are laughing because you're like, that's exactly the way I was. You know, what was one of the worst things to hear when you you were becoming a young adult? You're just like your dad. You're just like your mom. Don't tell me that. I want to be my own person. That's that process of individualization. But what we need to understand is that we are growing. Uh, We need to grow. We need to grow in our own faith. Our faith needs to be just that. It needs to be ours. Not uh, relying on our parents' beliefs. Not relying on the church's belief, the Sunday school teacher, the pastor, the whatever. You're relying on what God has been in your life. You know, sometimes that, as I was saying, that process can be very uh, adversarial. Uh, You know what? That's not always a bad thing. We should not have and forgive me for saying it this way, but we should not have faith in everything that was taught to us by our parents and by our Sunday school teachers and our pastors, our school teachers, our college professors, or even the people we respect and listen to. We ought not take everything just because they said it, it's fact. I mean, what is being preached and taught, I know it's not the right word, it's supposed to be taught, but it sounded good as I was writing it out. What you're being preached and teached needs to go hand in hand with God's Word. There were things that growing up that was taught to me that this is what God's Word says. But as I got into God's Word, that's not what it says. You say, well, well, what kind of stuff? I'll just give you one illustration. One of my Sunday school teachers when I was in sixth grade said that if you're not a Baptist, you're not saved. If you go to any other church... You're not really a Christian. Only Baptists are the right ones. The only time I saw the word Baptist in the Bible was describing John. I mean, we, we, I've, I've joked around it before that that first church in Jerusalem was the first Baptist church in Jerusalem, you know. But it doesn't, they didn't have denominations because there was one denomination. It was the way. I don't want to go into all that, but there are things that we do need to challenge and say, well, what, really, is that what the Bible says? When Paul came to the church in Berea, well, the, the, the believers in Berea, um, they were considered more noble than anyone else because they searched the Scriptures to make sure that what Paul was telling them jived with the Bible. We, this needs to be our standard in whatever we learn and whatever we are taught, right? This should be... 
And, 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 and so when something is told you, told you, whether it's in school, whether it's in college, whether it's in church or wherever, if it doesn't line up with the Bible, you probably shouldn't be believing it. Let me say that a different way. If it doesn't line up with the Bible, you shouldn't believe it. Because this is supposed to be the authority, right? This is the standard. What does Mike Tomlin always say? The standard is the standard? Something like that? that? That's what it is. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be... may be... What? Thoroughly equipped. Thank you. I... I knew that. I just didn't have it in my notes there. This is what it ought to be based on. Even You need to have your own faith. But you need to search it out. You need to search God's Word. Not just take everything hook, line, and sinker that you hear. And I'm even talking about what you hear from me. Because there's a chance that I'm wrong about something. Oh, I look back at some of my old messages and I'm like, I don't believe that anymore. Even since I've been here at this church. I'm growing. I'm constantly growing in the Lord. Knowing what it says. Because this needs to be the standard in our lives. And so, uh, some of those things that you were taught, some of those things that uh, you believed as a child or a young person, or even as a young adult, or even as a regular adult, if it doesn't work with this, it doesn't work. You need to be your own person, but believe God's Word. So after praying about it, after reading God's word about it, we can come to our own faith in God. And it is our faith. Not a separate faith, but our faith. We own it. So we've got to navigate individualization. Also, we need to navigate questions. Flip over to Matthew 28. <clears throat> if you're writing notes, you can wait there for just a second. Uh, I mean, you can flip there in a second. But uh, Matthew 28 is where we're going to go. We need to embrace doubt as a means, not an end. I mean, we all have questions that arise in, in relationship to our beliefs. I mean, they can be as simple as a child asking, why can't I see God? To, why does God allow such suffering in this world? I mean, and then also far more personal things. With these questions, we're, we're trying to reconcile our understanding of who God is. What does the Bible say about these things? And we have reasons to believe something and raise questions and doubts. And many times, those reasons are natural as we are finite individuals trying to understand the infinite God. One of the problems we have in many churches is that they pre promote this atmosphere of you cannot doubt. If you doubt, you're not saved. You're not allowed to ask those kinds of questions. You cannot ponder questions. We've, we've figured it all out. We know exactly what it says. And if you can't see it, you must be lost. You, because a saved person would never ask those kinds of questions. No, that's the wrong atmosphere of some churches. But there are some of them out there that are like that. We, we think we have to understand everything and resolve every problem. Our relationship with God becomes so logical and certain that there is no need for questions. Well, if that's the case, then doubt is definitely bad. But you know what? Jesus didn't do that with those who were in doubt. If we look at what he does and what he talks about, we will see that Jesus called out the position of parking ourselves in doubt 
of an unwillingness to step out in faith. You know, after Jesus rose from the dead, he, there was 13 different uh, um, encounters with Jesus that he had with people. Um, look at Matthew 28. Look at verse number 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some, what? Some doubted. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, they weren't doubting that Jesus rose from the dead. They weren't doubting that Jesus was right there in front of them. They just didn't understand it. They didn't understand what that meant for them. Uh, We might also think of uh, the disciple who historically was named Doubting Thomas. You know, at one point after Christ had risen, Thomas says he needs to see for himself. Jesus didn't chastise him. Jesus didn't run him down for having doubts. Instead, he showed up specifically just for Thomas and said, Hey, Thomas, you said you need to see me. See me. You need to put your hand in my side and put your fingers in the holes in my hand. Go for it, man. I'm right here. He did not criticize him for his doubts. He showed up for his doubts. God has never seen simply punishing those who think or question or, uh, you know, or, or have, or, or well, who are honest about their doubts. I, I've preached this before, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Your doubts do not disqualify your faith. Because we all have questions. Oswald Chambers uh, wrote, he says, Doubt is not always a sign that a man is wrong. It may be a sign that he's thinking. God knows that there can be a sincere desire to understand and, and He can meet us there and help us. Some of y'all may have recognized the name um, Fyodor Dostoevsky or some pronunciation of that word. Okay? Um, he was a Russian author. Y'all heard of Crime and Punishment? Okay, he wrote that, all right? Um, but uh, he was a Russian author. He went through great suffering during the uh, Russian oppression. He was nearly executed by a firing squad. He uh, uh, served four years in a labor camp. But fortunately, he lived on to write some of the most famous books in, in, in uh, uh, literature. And though he, uh, throughout his life, Dostoevsky uh, struggled to maintain his faith in God. But in the end, he remained a devoted follower of Christ, not despite his questions and doubts, but through them. Now, if you look into his life, he's, he, he was still a man. He still sinned. He did a lot of dumb stuff like we all still do. But he remained a devoted follower of Christ. And the result of Dostoevsky's pondering eternal truth resulted in a deeply profound Christian faith. He said, it is not as a child that I believe and confess Jesus Christ. He said, My Hosanna is born of a furnace of doubt. Meaning, it was the doubt that solidified his faith in God. That through that, God worked in his life. So, what you need to understand is that if you have doubt, God is not distant in your doubt. Okay? It can be scary when you begin to ask questions, what is needed is an encouragement from, from believers. Encouragement without fear that, hey, it's okay to have doubts. That's part of the process. And we as a church need to come alongside of those who are doubting with grace and encouragement 
And we want those to come to their own faith, making it real in their own lives. But here's something also that many people don't do. What I encourage you to do is please have the wisdom to doubt your own doubts as much as your beliefs. What do I mean by that? Sometimes things come up and it makes us doubt our beliefs. Okay? Well, maybe what we ought to do is also doubt what causes us to doubt. Maybe it's sin in our lives that we're not taking care of. Maybe it's some other things. I mean, if we find ourselves going through a process of doubting our beliefs, we should not stop short of the whole process, which includes doubting our doubts, that is allowing ourselves to be critical of the alternative beliefs our doubts lead us to. Most of the time, what we're taught is right. Okay? And we need to have the humility and the grace to acknowledge, even if we doubted it, yeah, you were right. Sometimes that's some of the hardest words to say to our spouses. Right? Sometimes it's hardest to say to, to someone that, you were right, I was wrong. We need to have the humility to be able to do that. As one commentator states, make no mistake, there, is, there are things within Christian culture that need to be challenged and reevaluated, but a Christ-honoring deconstruction revels in truth and beauty, not cynicism and arrogance. So, we need to be navigating some questions. It's okay. They come up. That's natural. But also, we need to navigate through some disappointments. From initial trust to reacting to hypocrisy and harm in some institutions and authorities. Flip over to Matthew 6, if you would. Matthew chapter 6. Those that helped us in our faith, maybe it was the beginning, maybe it was the first person that led you to the Lord or has been working with you or whatever the case may be. Sometimes those people that are related to our our beliefs can disappoint us at times. Maybe small ways, sometimes big ways. And it it can can be someone as personal as your parent or uh, uh, a parent figure who may identify with Christ, but... They've acted in ways that are deeply abusive. Or it can be a pastor who carried on in fraudulent ways. It it, it has the potential of feeling, well, the feeling of hypocrisy in those that we held up. I mean, uh, we we extend some respect and influence to someone who calls us to believe. uh, Then at some point we see some elements in their lives that contradict what they claim to believe. We may get a little deeper in that at one point. I'm not sure you know, in, our, in our message series, but um, it's another element that we need to navigate. You know, it is the, the process of disappointment that we will have to identify Jesus as the foundation. You know, some, some people have said that uh, if... Uh, well, I didn't write this down, so I'm going to mess it up, so just forget it. We'll move on from that. But... Jesus should be the foundation of our lives, the foundation of our faith, not a person or a church or an organization. We need to understand that churches and people are sinners. Well, churches are filled with sinners, right? People still sin, right? Even as Christians, don't we still sin? We need to understand that. So, how do we handle disappointment? 
This is just a little blip here, okay? It's in your notes there, but how do we handle disappointment? Just four quick things. First off, we're supposed to pray about it. Pray about it. How do we handle someone who has disappointed us? First and foremost, we pray about it. And then what are we supposed to do? Then we are to forgive them. I know, I know it's a whole lot easier said than done. But in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 14, this is what it says. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. There's... I, we could go through all kinds of scripture that talk about how we are commanded to forgive those who have hurt us. So we pray about it. We forgive them, even if they don't ask us to forgive them. And we also we need to out, uh, evaluate our own expectations of that person. Usually we get disappointed when we've placed unrealistic expectations on other people. So we pray about it, we forgive them, we expect, uh, evaluate our expectations, and then finally, maybe it shouldn't be finally, maybe it should be one of the beginning things, but we surrender our hurt to God. We surrender our disappointment to God. Give it to Him and say, God, I don't want to deal with this. This is something that is tearing me down and I can't have this. And I know this is what I wanted, but this is not the way it's going. And so maybe what we need to do is just say what Jesus said in the garden. Nevertheless, Lord... It's not my will, but thy will be done. So we navigate disappointment because it is going to come up. And it can affect our deconstruction process. And then the last one, because it's around us everywhere, is we've got to also navigate cultural influences. Discerning truth amidst the cultural, social beliefs, values, and the pressures that surround us. In referring to culture, I believe that we need to be conscientious that um, we are always navigating the influence of both uh, the unique Christian culture that surrounds us as well as the wider culture of the, the uh, uh, society that we live in. I think, unfortunately, too many times society's culture has permeated into the church's culture. Jesus knew that religious culture which formed around God had its human flaws and his disciples had misguided uh, uh, well, they were sinners, right? So the local church is always formed by its culture by, uh, by time and leaders. How do I want to say this? We should not develop our beliefs. We should not just tear down our beliefs just because what society says. Society, if you listen to them, we're a bunch of weirdos. Because we believe in one husband and one wife. We believe in one man and one woman. We believe there is such a thing as a man and there is such a thing as a woman. That we believe that there is a God. We believe, I mean, there's so many things that we can just keep going on. Society says, y'all are idiots. You are listening to some archaic stuff. How in the world can you allow that to, 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 to mess with your minds? Look at what society says. And we're like, yeah, we see what society says. It's all messed up. Just because society says it's, it's uh, good doesn't mean it's good. And just because society says it's a sin doesn't mean it's a sin. Instead, where should our belief be? Where should those things be? Right? This is where we ought to figure out what sin is and what good is. 
Flip over to Hebrews chapter 12. Last verse. I'm in my conclusion. I'm almost done. And all that we navigate, we would do well to keep ourselves fixed on Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer here is addressing those who would uh, pull, that feel the pull of cultural pressures and say, well, look at what society is telling us. Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 1. Okay? He says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. You say, who are those? That's the witnesses that are listed out in the Great Hall of Faith in uh, in chapter 11. He says, since we're we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There is no more important guide than that of focusing on Jesus. Culture is merely relative to what is true and good. So fix your eyes on Jesus. Whatever your struggle, it gets better with more, not less, of Jesus. He is the author of your faith. He is not just some editor. He is the perfecter of your faith. Not just one, uh, um, well, He is the one in whom we find what is good and true. It is He who guides us and and, and guides our lives beyond cultural traditions. So how do we navigate all these things in our lives? You look to the star. You know, if you were navigating in the ship, you know, and you all, all you had were the stars, you look for the stars. And He is the star. He's the one that we ought to be looking to. And the answer is always more of Christ. Uh, there's a Christian author by the name of Philip Yancey, and uh, someone asked him why, why he was a Christian. And he responded, he said, to be perfectly honest, the reason is reduced down to two. Number one, there's a, lot of, there's a lack of good alternatives. And number two... Jesus. That's why I'm a Christian. Um, Martin Luther, the reformer, um, back in the 1500s, encouraged his students to flee the hidden God and run to Christ. Um, Yancey said, if I I, uh, use a magnifying glass to examine a fine painting, the object in uh, the center of the glass stays crisp and clear while around the edges the views grow increasingly distorted. He says, for me, Jesus Christ has become the focal point. I learned to keep the magnifying glass of my faith focused on Jesus. You know, if we spend all kinds of time on unanswerable questions, some, you know, everything becomes fuzzy. But when we look to Jesus, clarity can be restored. When our focus is on Him, He corrects those fuzzy conceptions And he helps us to understand what our faith is supposed to be like. So, how do we navigate our beliefs? Well, look at the There's five different things that we navigate. And that's all part of the process. But if you ever get to the point where you are feel like you need to change some things up because you're just not finding it from God's Word, do that. That's what needs to happen. Allow God's Word to, to form and shape your beliefs. You deconstruct it, but then you reconstruct a more solid faith in the Lord. That's what the, this series is about. We'll see how well, how far we go. So, 
All right, would you, would you stand with me as we go to the Lord in prayer, okay? Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the challenge. And Lord, we ask that you would help us. Uh, yeah, we're going to be, we've we got questions. We've got things that in our lives that still seem to be unclear. Lord, I pray that you would give us clarity as we look to you, look to your word, we look to Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would help us in our doubts. Help us to understand that the doubt is just a part of growing up and maturing. Help us as we come to these areas of our lives that we struggle in or our our children are struggling in or friends and family struggle in. Help us to be that solid foundation. Well, to be a solid foundation. Point them to you in your word. Lord, we pray that you would teach us what it really means to fix our eyes on you. I mean, you are the, the author, and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. Help us to know what we need to know to dismantle the false beliefs the false teaching, but only so that we can create, we can build up what is that true, what is good, what is what your word tells us to have a solid foundation and to have a genuine relationship with you, a genuine fellowship with you. Thank you for your word this morning, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a verse of invitation. Uh, I don't know what the message may have challenged you with, but we're going to sing uh, page 425, uh, Cleanse Me. Thank you all for being here today. Don't forget the, uh, uh, the announcements that were mentioned. Also, don't forget to sign up out there for if you're going to come um, for the meal for um, Barb's memorial service. Um, let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. And uh, I'm going to ask uh, Brother Ron, would you close our service in prayer, sir? Our gracious.